Just like we would repel an attractive person by being needy and desperate, we would repel money by being needy and desperate. And if you look at most people, why they don't have money is because energetically, they are not in a harmonious vibration with money. Psychologically, on top of that, they don't really see money as something good or they see it as tools for exploitation and arrogance. And then on top of that, they also lack the financial literacy required to understand the principles of money. Now you combine these three factors and it's a significant trifecta for financial failure. And most people perpetually live in a state of confusion, wondering why they're not becoming financially successful. Well, you're energetically not aligned. You're psychologically not aligned. You don't have an understanding of the principles and mental models of money. It's almost a mathematical certainty that you're heading towards financial failure. This is episode number 116 of The Inspiring Talk with Ron Malhotra. Welcome back inside yet another episode of The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm your host for this show. Each week, I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. The interview I have done with Ron on 63rd episode of the show was hugely appreciated and remains to be one of the most loved episodes of the show. If you haven't heard that conversation, I highly recommend that you check that out. I'll put the link for that episode on the description. Ron is an award-winning wealth planner, influence and success expert. He is an author of four books, including number one Amazon bestseller, Eight Wealth Habits of Financially Successful People. In his new book, Impossible to Fail, Ron shares precise principles, concepts, and strategies that will enable you to be successful on your terms and achieve your dreams and goals. He is an international public speaker, speaks extensively on success, influence, business, and money. Ron was featured on Entrepreneur Magazine, The Huffington Post, Inc. Magazine, NBC, and CNN, among others. In this episode, I invited Ron to share how to create a wealth creation mindset, how to change your relationship with money, how to achieve financial freedom, and Ron offers a formula called SISPIP, which I believe can completely change your financial game. This episode could be the one that can change your perception of wealth creation forever. Before we begin, if you are new to this show, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you have been a regular listener, do consider leaving a review for the show. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Ron Malhotra. Ron, welcome back to the Inspiring Talk. Nice to be back, Vijay. Thank you. We had a good chat last time. So looking forward to uh, resuming into uh, another topic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when we did the conversation last time, and it remains to be one of the most listened episodes of the show, and I had to get you back on the show because people loved you so much on the show and the ideas and insights that you bring. So uh, this time around, we're going to talk about something that you have been expert for so many years now and a lot of things that you share with the world. So I want to jump straight into this. I want to ask you this. What is the meaning of creating wealth? What does it mean? I think in financial sense, it means the ability to be able to fund your chosen lifestyle without having to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Of course, wealth, the spiritual wealth, emotional wealth, relationship wealth, so on and so forth. But since we're talking particularly in regards to financial stuff, mm-hmm. wealth is a, an individual's ability to fund their chosen lifestyle, not the lifestyle that they don't want and they're settling for, their chosen lifestyle without having to work, meaning that work is a matter of choice rather than being forced into work. So what you're saying is you don't work because you need money, because you have to fund the lifestyle, but your lifestyle is being taken care of and then you know you work just because you feel like or you like working on the things. That... Correct. And the, here, here's the thing though, and some people might go, I don't really mind the fact that I have to work for my lifestyle. Yes, but eventually you want to stop working, right? Eventually everybody needs to stop working at some point. Nobody wants to work until the day they die. And even if you were one of the few people in the very small minority of people who said, I want to work until the day I die, well, 
can you really choose that? What if you can't? Mm. What if there's a massive downturn in your industry? Uh, what if you have uh, a major disability? What if you have a critical illness? What if you have to take care of your aging parents or a sick spouse? So there are a number of reasons that can also prevent you from being able to work, which is why wealth creation is a worthwhile objective for any person who understands that life is uncertain and that we live in an economic world and everything from healthcare to medical care to even mm. being able to spend time with our family and friends requires money. And I'm going to say this at the risk of sounding quite controversial here. I think only the most naive people believe that money is not important. In fact, if you really had to be extremely pragmatic, you think about the fact mm -hmm. that after oxygen, water and food, the most important commodity would have to be money. So there's a lot of people I know, it's very trendy to deny the importance of money these days. It's very trendy to say, oh, it's not about money, it's about health. Oh, it's mm. not about money, it's about happiness. Oh, it's not about money, mm. it's about relationships. Oh, it's not about money, it's about love. I know that there's a lot of these types of things floating around, but anyone who says that, I would say to them, try and pay your gas bill with love. <laughs> try and pay for yeah. your parents' hospital care or your own medical care with kindness and see if it's accepted, right? Yeah. So it's not nice, well and nice to have be, be sentimental about this sort of stuff, but I'm a very pragmatic person. I, I like to see things the way they are and I like to say things the way they are. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, as you said, right, it's not about money. And often, you know, that's not necessarily because they don't feel that it's not necessary for you to have money, but often it also can be because of the beliefs that we have about money, right? We have been kind of grown up listening that, you know, making money is evil, rich people are evil, or maybe I don't need a lot of money, right? So uh, is there a different mindset to create a wealth? Well, I think there's definitely, if you look at the majority of people in the world, I think majority of people have been programmed to see money as either a necessity only mm -hmm. or something that's evil. So even if you actually look at movies and you look at Hollywood movies or you look at Bollywood movies, you'll find that in majority, the vast majority of movies, the rich guy is typically the bad guy. Mm, and, yeah. and the good guy is typically financially irresponsible yeah. and doesn't care about money. And so right from the beginning, we are being conditioned to associate honor and the quality of goodness with financial irresponsibility and attach greed and arrogance and exploitation with the accumulation of wealth. So right from the beginning, this starts. Okay. And so what happens is as we grow older, most of us internally don't really value money. And even if we do, we are ashamed to say it. And those of us who actually value money, we don't really value it because we appreciate it. We value it because we need it. And there's a fundamental yeah. difference. And if I may just use an example to explain the difference between wanting money because you value it versus wanting money because you need it. Mm. So think of a situation where there is an attractive woman and there are two men that proposition her. Mm. One man says, look, I need you. I need somebody to do my washing and my cleaning. And I'm desperate for you. I need somebody to take care of me. Mm. And then another man propositions the same attractive woman and says, I value you, love you, and appreciate you. Now, if you were that attractive woman, which man would you want to marry? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, the second one. Nobody wants to go to a needy person. 100%. So we have to understand that money is not just currency. Money is a tool, but also, if you really fundamentally understand, money has many di dimensions. There is an energetic dimension of money. There's a psychological dimension of money. There's a strategic dimension of money. And there is the tactical dimension of money. So when we look at the energetic dimension of money, how most people act towards money repels money. Hmm. It's like we would repel an attractive person by being needy and desperate. We would repel money by being needy and desperate. And if you look at most people, why they don't have money is because, number one, energetically, they are not in a harmonious vibration with money at the energetic level. Mm. Psychologically, on top of that, they don't really see money as something good. They see it as evil or they see it as tools for exploitation and arrogance. And mm. then on top of that, they also lack the financial literacy required to understand the principles of money. Now, you combine mm. this, these three factors and it's a significant trifecta for financial failure. So basically, they're not giving mm. themselves any chance at any level to become financially successful 
And most people perpetually live in a state of confusion, wondering why they're not becoming financially successful. Well, you're energetically not aligned. You're psychologically not aligned. You don't have an mm. understanding of the principles and mental models of money. How do you become financially successful? It's almost a mathematical certainty that you're heading towards mm. financial failure. And I've been talking about this for a number of years. And the topic is so provocative to people that when I bring this up, instead of trying to understand my message, and I know I'm being very direct with the message, they end up seeing me as the problem. Whereas <laughs> my really intention is to make people pick, wake people up and say, look, I just want you to have more of it. Why? Mm. Because if you consider yourself to be a good person, you're going to do mm. a lot of good things with money, right? Rather than just feeling hatred towards people with money, why don't you get your hands on some by aligning mm. your energy and psychology and your understanding to be a magnet for money rather than repelling money? Yeah. Did you struggle yourself as well in your life with not having this magnetic mindset? And how did you uh, overcome that? Oh, my God. Did I struggle? Wow. I struggled so much because I grew up with the same mentality. You see, for most of my life, yeah. I did not understand money. I attached too much significance to it in the wrong way. I felt desperate and needy for it. And I felt that wealthy people became wealthy because they cheated other people. So, of course, for mm. many, many years, and that mindset, and on top of that, further that problem being further exacerbated by my own illiteracy around money, of course, I suffered for many, many years. I remember the days when right, the only place I could rent was a commission house, and a commission house is typically a house that is reserved for delinquents and drug addicts and ex-convicts, and it was the only place I could afford to rent. And I remember that the amount of money that I was making was so low that I was afraid to have a proper meal for dinner. And so I would get the mm. cheapest meal that I could get, which was, which was a bunch of bananas. And I would have one banana every single day for dinner. I remember those times. I remember the times when I could not afford to even buy an iron to iron my clothes. So I remember those times. And I remember what a journey I've been on to go from being absolutely broke to then developing mm. and understanding my mindset and becoming financially literate. But on top of that, also creating positive associations with money psychologically and energetically. Mm. So where does one begin? Well, one begins with the understanding of the problem. You see, the first thing is we've got to identify the cause of the problem. You can't solve a problem because everybody wants a solution. How do I make more money? And I say to them, you can't solve a problem without understanding the cause of it. Because if you solve the problem without understanding the cause, there's a pretty high likelihood you're solving the symptom, not the problem, and the problem is mm. going to reemerge. So what is the cause of the problem? The cause of the problem and why a majority of people in the world suffer financially and why there's such a significant wealth disparity where only a small percentage of people in the world become millionaires or billionaires and then majority of people struggle. The cause is that majority of people are not energetically, psychologically aligned and they do not understand the principles of money. Now, let's start with the psychological part. I yeah. strongly believe having understood, understood certain elements of psychology that we now teach that wealth creation has to be in your top three values for you to prioritize mm. it. We all have a set of values. Some of us value freedom, some of us value flexibility, some of us value family, some of us value health. But you'll find that if you actually start to really investigate, you'll find that majority of people do not place any value on wealth creation. Okay. Mm. And the way our minds work, and we have to understand the psychology here, the way our minds work is if we do not place sufficient importance on a particular thing, our minds will automatically keep it in our blind spot and we will never prioritize it. We will never get organized in that area. We will never become disciplined in that area. We will never become motivated in that area. So we have to place value in wealth creation. And wealth creation is not the same as making an income. This is the other thing as well. So there are three skill sets here. Number one, yeah. the ability to make a good income. Mm. Number two, the ability to keep that income. Number mm. three, the ability to grow that income and the money that you're making. So you are saying high-paying job is not necessarily guaranteed the you know, wealth? Not at all. No, in fact, there is no guarantee that a high income is going to result in high wealth. In fact, most of the times it doesn't because you could be a person with a very negative mindset and you just work mm. extremely hard and neglect every other area of your life and you're probably good at making money. But since you have negative values and beliefs around wealth, you still probably do not keep any of it and you have nothing to show for your years of hard work, which is very, very common, by the way. And also, in addition to that, you're not going to acquire the skill set of keeping money and growing money if you don't place value on it. 
most people would have what I would call a very unhealthy relationship with money. Either they deny it, or they avoid it, or they hoard it because they're so afraid of losing it. These are all mm. unhealthy behaviors. Why? Because if any person acted like that in the context of context of a human relationship, we would say the person's not normal, right? Mm. They're denying the existence of the other person and the importance of the other person. Okay, they're avoiding the other person or they are extremely territorial and possessive about the other person. We would say that none of those behaviors are normal when it came to a human-to-human -human relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But you'll see that those patterns play out very commonly across the majority of the population when it comes to the relationship people have with money. And that fundamentally needs to change. And one of the ways we get people to change that is we say, look, it's very difficult for you to actually place value on wealth creation if your whole life you have been told that wealth creation is bad, it's not necessary, it's not important, whatever it is that you think at the deepest level, the first thing you've got to decide is what is important to you and then find and literally write down 50 reasons how the accumulation of wealth will allow you to live by that value. For example, let's just say your highest value was family mm. and you place no value in wealth creation because of your mm. upbringing and conditioning. I would sit down with you and go, Vijay, why don't we write down a list of 50 ways accumulation of wealth will allow mm. you to be able to live by your highest value, which is family. So let's, number one, it might be that having more wealth means you can help them more. Maybe you can educate your niece. Maybe you can mm. support your parents, buy them a house. Maybe you can take your wife on a holiday. So we would write down 50 reasons. Why 50 reasons? Because we are so primed to not value money that we need so much yeah. emotional and mental ammunition to make this a priority. So that would be the first thing I would do with somebody. Yeah. The first thing you would put value to the money that, you know, I need to create the wealth. Yeah. I would show them the link between what they value and how wealth mm. creation would further facilitate that. So if they don't directly yeah. value wealth creation, let's show them yeah. how they can indirectly place value on wealth creation. So that's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would yeah. do is I would help them understand what their beliefs are around money. So what are all the things that they grew up listening to money is the mm. root cause of all evil there is not enough money in the world money is not important you know i don't have money but at least i'm honest all these kind of narratives mm. that are playing and those narratives are actually in our subconscious and because our subconscious determines our behaviors if you have all these negative narratives in your mind around money you're naturally going to avoid money you're going to repel money and even even if by accident you come into money you're going to get rid of it because you don't mm. place value on it and you'll exchange it for something mm. else that you value so we would get them to write down all the beliefs that they have, all the things that they heard, and then we'll get them to write the polar opposite of that belief. And then through some mental exercises, we would get them to then talk, take the new set of beliefs and implant them in the subconscious mind so that they're starting to create positive associations. The third thing is we would teach them the principles of money yeah. and wealth management. Yes. Before we get there, so to the second point of where you want to, what we are talking about is replacing the belief system that you have and the thoughts that you're playing in the back of your head about the money. We are saying that we're going to replace those beliefs with the new beliefs, right? So what are some of the practices that help? Do affirmations help? Or what do you think? Of, you know, are there some practices that you want to give to people? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a number of practices that we do. We do a combination of number of practices. So for, once we realize that we have negative beliefs, we get them to first come up with the, the opposite of those beliefs, right? Because you need to know what you want to believe. So, for example, if you think money is the root cause of all evil, you might want to write money is the root cause of all good. And then proactively look for examples of people who have actually used money to do positive things in the world. So look at people who are making charitable donations or they're constructing schools or whatever it is that they're doing, right? So you have to proactively look for it because what we will do is how our minds work is that once we have a belief, we automatically look for evidence to validate that belief. Yes. And we very conveniently neglect and reject evidence to the contrary because, and it's, you know, it, it's called cognitive bias. So yeah. we do it automatically and unconsciously. We don't even realize we're doing it. So the first thing is to realize where are you constantly supporting your negative beliefs and convincing yourself that this is how the world works, even though there is another worldview. And why are we not paying attention to the other worldview that some that a lot of good people with a lot of money have done wonderful things for the world as well? And the great example of that would be like when we like the person, then our focus is we, we, we ignore all the bad part about them. And when we start disliking the person, we are completely blind to the good things about the person. We completely focus on what's wrong. And I think the same with money. Yeah. Correct. And, and we've got to be aware of our biases because the problem is that 
people who are extremely biased and they cannot examine their biases typically tend to make a lot of decisions from feelings rather than facts. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why they have a lot of suffering and they have a lot of problems in life is because they continually place feelings over facts and they mistake their own feelings to be facts. For example, you know, I'll talk about something like this and it may challenge a lot of people. It may contradict a lot of people's beliefs. And rather than understanding why is it upsetting me so much, why is it challenging me so much, why is it triggering me so much, they'll basically put go and put a negative comment on one of mm. my, my Instagram pages or my YouTube pages and then call me arrogant or greedy or whatever it is that they'll call me because their minds just cannot separate the message from the feeling. And again, is that going to affect me? No, it won't affect me because I understand cognitive biases and I understand cognitive dissonance, but it will affect you because you are unable to face facts over feelings. Mm. And that's why I continually drive this message home. So you would do that. And the thing is, you have to engage with these new beliefs with repetition because a belief is simply a deeply held opinion. And if you actually look at how a deeply held opinion is formed, is it's, it's formed through re regular exposure to that particular thought. So thinking mm. it once or twice does not make it subconscious. You have to continually engage and not just uh, intellectually. You've got to engage with it emotionally and you've got mm -hmm. to engage with it visually. You've got to actually start to look for examples of wealthy people and where how wealth is positive and how wealth leads to security and how wealth leads to harmony and how wealth leads to lack of conflict, how wealth leads to creation. You have to do that for a period of time before your mind starts to create positive associations with it. So you want to do all of that. And then one of the things we teach is how to use technology to integrate your left and right brain so mm -hmm. that you are, again, using with the use of technology, you can drive it further and further deep into your conscious because whatever, how you behave is always going to be consistent with what's deep down inside of you. We very rarely behave in contradiction to what we believe or in contradiction to how we see ourselves. So all of that has to be changed. The other thing is we have to realize that, you know, if you've grown up in a middle-class background or you've grown up, grown up in a poor background, the conversations, dinner table conversations, were probably around other people, entertainment, sports, mm. uh, gossip, and they were not around building a business, investing, understanding assets, educating yourself, performance, productivity, so you have to understand that the reason why rich keep getting richer is because the dinner table conversations in many cases are quite different. And mm -hmm. they're constantly being exposed to concepts that result in financial empowerment, uh, whereas the middle class is consistently and unconsciously exposing themselves and their children to concepts that result in uh, financial disempowerment. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that there's a lot of things there. And then it's about going to the next level where we have to understand the principles and the strategies that result in uh, wealth creation rather than uh, looking for the next quick way to become wealthy or today it's bitcoin tomorrow it's forex trading third day you know and that's typically as somebody who doesn't really want to understand how wealth is created they just want to quickly get to the outcome and mm -hmm. they're the ones that are typically fooled by the salespeople. They're, they're the ones that typically are perfect targets for anybody that wants to take advantage of them because they're emotional about money Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to keep emotions aside. You want you want to have some basic psychological positive associations, but you don't want to get emotionally get carried away. And so we have designed a particular wealth creation sequence that we teach people. And I coined this particular phrase called SISPIP, S-I-S-P-I-P, -I -I mm -hmm. which basically talks about the principles, how wealth creation is it actually happens. And this is the entire sequence. And my whole life, I've never heard anyone talk about the sequence of wealth creation. So I thought it's really important for people to understand what they mm. need to do before the next step. And the, mm. how a SISPIP model works is the first part of the SISPIP model, which is the S, stands for skills. Mm. And we're not talking about technical skills. We're talking about skills that are in high demand, which allow you to make the income that you want and are transferable across industries. So that's the first part. The second part is income. So in the SISPIP model, the I stands for income. And what we're basically talking about is the ability to influence your income. Okay, so most people have a fixed income, which they cannot influence. And the ability to influence your income comes from an understanding of the contributors of income. So the contributors of income are, number one, the mastery of your subject. Number two, the complexity of the problem that you solve. Number three, the difficulty in replacing you because of your work ethic. And number four, your ability to sell, promote, and position yourself. 
Those four factors influence your income. But most people will act like they can't influence their income. And one of the things I have said at my events, and I've been criticized for it, but I don't care that people criticize me for it because people don't like the truth. And I've said many, many times, if your income is fixed, your mindset is fixed. Wow. Yeah. That's a really powerful one. Yeah. And I know it challenges people, but I go and I say to them and people get very worked up. And I said, but before you get, allow your emotions to again, take control of your whole psychological being, let's just stop here and ask yourself, mm-hmm. mastery of your topic. Is there something that you can do? Complexity of the problem that you solve. Is there something that you can do? Mm-hmm. Can you improve your work ethic to the point that you're difficult to replace? And can you learn how to position yourself, sell yourself, and market yourself? Of course, you can influence all these four things. Therefore, you can influence your income. So don't yeah. tell me you're not able to do it. Let's be honest. You're unwilling to do it. Mm. Now, and one of the biggest problems that I have as a mentor is to transform somebody's life, I occasionally have to hold the mirror to their face. But mm. people don't like the mirror on their face. And we have to understand a very common psychological bias. We judge others on their results, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. Super powerful. If you want to become truly successful, we need to measure ourselves on our results as well. Mm. And people go, people might go, don't judge. No, no, you're only saying that because your, your results are being judged. But when you go to a mm. restaurant and you pay no. money, don't you judge the quality of the food? Would you accept mediocre performance from your cricket team? Would you accept mediocre performance from your musician? You wouldn't. So how can you accept mediocre performance from yourself? That's a bias, right? So going back to the CISPID model, once you have learned how to influence your income, the third thing that you do is the third S, which is savings. Mm. Before you invest, you've got to save between six to 12 months worth of your income in savings. The Mm. reason is if you lose your job, if there is a temporary loss that happened or you had became sick, you don't have to sell yeah. down your investments. Okay. We never ask people to invest until they've saved first. But also yeah. you are demonstrating that you have the mental discipline to save. Yeah. Then we go into the P, which is protection. Are you insured properly? Have mm. you got a protection plan to insure yourself, your family, and your assets? Then we go into I, which is investing, mm. not speculating. And we explain to people what the difference between investing and speculating is. And what are the most proven investment vehicles in the world? And mm. then our own, after you've invested, then you do P, which is preservation. You preserve everything that you have built. So when there is a market crash, there is a lawsuit, if there is premature death, whatever you have built stays with you or stays within the bloodline. Mm. Now people start to understand the complexity of wealth creation. You don't just buy Bitcoin or dabble in a share <laughs> and become successful financially, which is what, how everybody sees financial success. Mm. Now yeah. people start to understand, oh my God, I really have not been trained financially. And it's mm-hmm. not your fault. I, I'm certainly not saying that you are to be blamed for it. But what I'm saying is that you're still responsible to correct the problem. Yeah. Whose responsibility is it? And I, my issue is not with individuals. My issue is more with the education system that has conveniently left out the, all of the financial literacy from the education system. And at best, it's taught us how to make money to survive, but yeah. not to keep money and not to grow money, to thrive. See, there's such yeah. a big difference. And that's one of the things, that I'm, one of the missions that I'm on, a quest that I'm on, is to challenge the indoctrination that is taking place through the academic education system, which is like, why do you, get, why do you go to school? Oh, because I want to go to university. Why do you go to university? So I can get a job. Why do you want a job? For the money. Why don't we just learn about money then? How's that mm. for an idea? Yeah, awesome. And I love these six steps, SISPIP method where, you know, skill, Influence, saving, protection, investment, and preserve. Skills, income, savings. Income, sorry. But you need to have enough income that you can influence. That's the point. Yes. High income skills. Income. Yeah, income, savings, protection, investment, preservation. And that's the wealth creation sequence in that order. You Mm. skip a step, even if you become wealthy, it's like you are becoming wealthy, but on very shaky grounds. Mm. Okay? You are building your wealth. You are expecting, and here's what's going to happen. When people skip these steps and they build wealth, mm. it's like knowing how to sail in the ocean when the sun's shining, but the moment the storm comes in, you will drown, you mm. will sink. So that's why we do it this way. So even when the storms come in, you can withstand the storms, like the COVID storm. And yeah. we've had many, many storms before the COVID storm. We've had various other pandemics, the mad cow, the bird flu. Mm. We've had SARS. We've had GFC. We've had economic events and medical events. Why is it that some people, no matter what happens in the economy, continue to become financially successful? 
but yeah. the majority are devastated by it. Well, the reason is they didn't train before they got onto the boat and they got into the ocean. And they could only mm. sail when the sun was shining, but they're not trained to be able to handle the sail when the storm's coming. Yeah. So protection comes before investment. Yes. The reason is your ability to be able to create wealth is mm. dependent on your continued ability to make an income. And you want to protect that. So you want to put a firewall mm. around your ability to make an income by buying the right types of insurances. But also protection goes beyond insurances. Protection is also about making sure that if interest rates go up, you're not going to have a problem. If the markets crash, mm. you're not going to have a problem. If an emergency happens, you're not going to have a problem. Mm. So with protection, uh, you mean the safety net that we're talking about, right? Where, you know, you take maybe insurances, health, risk mitigation. So basically, mm. and it's so simple. I mean, I know that at the moment, if it's the first time you're hearing this concept, it might seem overwhelming, but sometimes it's as simple as literally taking a piece of paper and a pen and writing down everything that can go wrong and then asking yourself a simple question. Is yeah. this, can this risk be reduced, mm. managed, mitigated, or minimized in some way? And you will find that 90% plus of financial risks can be mitigated, managed, minimized. And the fact is, whatever you can minimize and mitigate, mm. you must minimize and mitigate. Because if you haven't, you're just leaving yourself open to, you know, when the storm comes in, which it will. There's not, it's not a question of if the storm is going to come in. The question is when the storm is going to come in, mm. right? Yeah. As we see, it happens with seasons. It's not sunny every day, right? You can't rely on for the sun to shine every day. At some days, it's going to rain. So mm. those days when it rains, you can't say, oh, well, I was doing so well, and then it rained, so now I got wet. Well, that would be silly, right? You buy the umbrella mm -hmm. because you know at one day it's going to rain. It's yeah. the same thing when it comes to securing your financial future. Awesome. That means you look at what are the, your health, you look at you know, some natural disaster that can go wrong and how you can protect your wealth. Uh, you know, and, and so many other things just to ensure, as you said. I think that's, I love that one, by the way, where you, know, you just write down all the things that can go wrong and see what you can do to be prepared to those situations. And even in business, you can do that. Look, no, you can't mitigate against every risk. I acknowledge that. Yeah. But you can mitigate against 90% of risks. And before we go and worry about, oh, but what's the point? I can't mitigate 100%. Well, well have you mitigated everything that you can? No. We can't say, well, I'm not going to mitigate that. So, so there are so many things that can be mitigated. And all we have to do is find a way to do it. Now, natural disasters, I'll tell you some of the things that we cannot mitigate. Acts of war, nothing you can do about mm. it. Okay? Yeah. Then you have global natural disasters, nothing you can do about it. Yeah. But let's talk about the probability of those things occurring. Maybe the probability of those things occurring is less than 3%. But the probability of other events occurring might be 50, 60, 30, 40, 50%. So you've got to cover those things that have a high probability and the ones that have a very low probability and you can't do anything about, you don't worry about them, mm. right? Even in business, let's talk about you running a business, all the things that can go wrong in a business. Your cash flow can run out. Uh, your employees can steal from you. Somebody can steal your intellectual property. You can get sued for damages. There are so many, all the things that can go wrong in a business again, you can literally write down on a piece of paper and you can go, can it be mitigated? And here's the difference between wealthy people and the ones that mismanage or neglect their finances. The wealthy people, mitigate every risk that they can mitigate. Mm. Whereas the average person says, well, I'm either going to mitigate everything or I'm going to mitigate nothing. Okay, it's a fundamental difference in attitude. And mm. who suffers for that attitude? Well, the people who don't have the money, but they keep blaming the rich people. But the thing is, have you done everything that you can in your power to increase your income? Okay, to build your skills, to build your savings, to build your protection plan. Well, you haven't even done anything, and yet you're blaming the rich people. We can't do that. What I'm trying to do is promote a philosophy of financial responsibility rather than mm. financial blame, which is what the current culture is about. Yeah. Now that you, know, you first saved for the emergency thing, you are good to go for the another six months to 12 months. If anything goes wrong, if you lose your job or if your business goes down, if you are somebody who's running the business, but you have a fund to get your life going for another six months to 12 months, which is the saving. And then you, you know, you have the safety net. Like after you have done that of saving bit, and then you have now, you know, taken care of the safety net with the life insurance and all that sort of things. Now you still have money, which you want to now invest. And that's the next step where, which in the SISPIP model that you shared, which is investment. Now, uh, how should people be looking at investment, especially the people who have never 
you know, invested before? So where people invest will depend on number one, their goals. So how big are mm. your goals? The bigger the goal, mm. the more aggressive the investment strategy, okay? And the higher risk you will need to embrace. Uh, or the bigger the gap. And the gap I mean is where you want to be versus where you are. If the gap is very mm. big, you can't afford to be super conservative. You're gonna have to be aggressive if you really want to minimize that gap. But aggressive mm -hmm. doesn't mean speculating. And see, here's where you have to, in finance, you have to apply what we call really refined and critical thinking. You can't assume that aggressive means speculating. I'm an aggressive investor, but I never speculate. Aggressiveness means that I have a very high appetite to withstand temporary dips and fluctuations in the real estate and stock market. I don't mind if I temporarily lose 20, 30% of my asset value. As long as I'm invested well, I'm not going to go into panic. And that is a possibility if I'm investing in, I have an aggressive investment strategy. Speculating mm. is when you're paying, you're giving no regard to the underlying quality of an asset and you're making predictions about what may happen in the future based on what you're hearing either in the media or through your friends or through your taxi driver, and you've basically gone, oh, well, 10 people are saying that I should invest in Bitcoin, I'll invest in Bitcoin, not understanding anything about it. So for me, I don't speculate, but I invest. Now, I only invest in three types of investments, predominantly real estate, businesses, and stocks. Now people go, really? Yep, really, that's it. But it's not those investments, it's the strategy behind it that makes me successful. And this is the part where we talk about strategy, because investments are what we call products. Real estate is an investment product. Stocks are investment products. Mutual funds are investment products. ETFs are investment products. But before the product, you have to think of the strategy. Leveraging is a strategy. Gearing is a strategy. Installment gearing is a strategy. Dividend reinvestment is a strategy. Rebalancing is a strategy. So it's not just the product that makes you wealthy. It's the right product with the right strategy that makes you wealthy. See? And now you'll see why people fail everywhere financially because you have if you imagine trying to play cricket and never held a bat and don't mm. know how to read the scoreboard and don't understand the rules of the game and you go and you go i'm going to grab a bat how hard can it be i've seen such in tanduka he can hit a sixer yeah. i can hit it too <laughs> and then you go yeah. but, but how what are your probability of winning a game of cricket if you don't know how to read the scoreboard okay and you don't understand the rules of cricket so yeah. Everyone's in the money game, Vijay, because if you have income, you have expenses, you have taxes, you're in the money game. And whether you like it or not, you've been thrown in the money game, but you have not been taught how to read the scoreboard and you don't understand the rules of the game. Can you imagine the disaster that's going to take place? And the disaster is taking mm. place because globally, according to mm. the global shift in wealth and various studies done by Deloitte, the number of millionaires in the world is 0.6%, not even 1%. Wow. And why is that a problem? Because we have hundreds and millions of graduates and hundreds of millions of professionals in the world, not even 1% become millionaires. And 40% of millionaires globally are coming from the United States alone. And that's another topic in itself. Why is it that America produces such a high number of millionaires? Well, that's a whole other topic, which I can dissect for you one day when we get another, get another chance to talk about. And why is it that some cultures no. are predisposed to financial prosperity and others are not, despite mm. high education levels. So that's a whole another topic which I'd love to dissect for you at another another time. But today for me is not about giving a quick solution because the, how the intellectual mind works is oh how do I make money? That you know that's like going to a doctor and saying how do I feel good? But the doctor is going to say well where is the problem? Why does the problem mm. exist? You carry out full diagnostics before he gives you a painkiller. Yeah. Right, It would be very negligent of a doctor to give you a painkiller without doing a thorough diagnostics. A good doctor will say, how old are you? What do you do for work? Do you stress? Do you sleep well? Do you have fights mm. with your wife? Uh, have you had pre-existing conditions? What's your family history? Before they prescribe medication. So whenever you get a person who prescribes an investment or any type of investment strategy without doing the diagnostics, you're dealing with an unprofessional person who has a vested interest. Mm. Okay. Unfortunately, finance is not that straightforward. If it were, then we would not only have 0.6 billion people in the world becoming millionaires. We would have a large number. There is enough evidence in that alone that field is it's not so intuitive. 
Mm. And it takes a little bit of time. But if you spend one or two years really understanding the principles and the strategies, Mm. and you can have a really good pathway to becoming Mm. financially secure. And one thing I always say to people is all unsuccessful investing is markets-based and all successful investing is goals and planning based. Mm. Yeah, It's like you're trying to cook something, BJ, without, mm. say, imagine you invite me for dinner and you say, Ron, come over for dinner. And you say to your wife, Ron's coming for dinner, I'll cook. And your wife says, but BJ, you've never cooked in your life. Mm. And you say, but how hard can it be? I'll go to the shops, I'll get some vegetables, I'll get some chicken, I'll get some salt and pepper, how hard can it be? So you go to the supermarket, you pick up some vegetables, you pick up some chicken, you put it on the gas for a random amount of time in random quantities with random recipe, and you hope that you'll come up with something beautiful. Now, there is a pretty small chance that you may, you know, by luck, you might come up with something very delicious. Ron comes over and goes, wow, BJ, that was delicious. Mm. Yeah. But you'll agree, you'll agree that if you don't decide what you want to cook and you don't have a recipe, the probability of you coming up with a delicious dish is very low. Yeah. Now, it seems absurd that somebody would go out there, rush and buy ingredients without asking themselves, what do I want to eat? And without getting a recipe, you would think, my God, what kind of person would do that? Well, 90% of investors, is, they approach their investing exactly in the same way. Mm. Which is why we say that it's not the investments that are the risk, it's the investor that's the risk. Because people are irrational and emotional. And not as logical as we would like to think. And that's why mental and emotional control, along with a clear plan and a clear strategy and discipline, is important to be able to create financial security. Yeah, that's great. And I know what I get from this is now, you know, you start re-educating yourself about the finance and you need to re-educate about wealth creation uh, and also maybe surround with the people who are already on that journey or who are, you know, who have been kind of working towards it. And that always helps, right? Because you are then on the conversation where, you know, the conversations are around wealth creation, not on, uh, well, you know. Seek, seek advice the, from somebody mm-hmm. who, who has mm-hmm. two things. Yeah. If you want to seek any type of advice, whether it's health advice, look for two things. Has the person got results and has the person got research? Wealth creation, the same thing. And the person who's giving me advice or the person whose advice I'm seeking, number one, have they got results in creating wealth? Number two, are they also well-researched so that they can put some context around the nuances around investing in money. If you have a person who's only got results but don't have, doesn't have research, they'll be biased in giving you advice. Mm. If you have a person who's only researched but not, doesn't have the results, they're speaking from theory, not practice. Yeah. So ideally, you want to pick mentors that have both a blend of research and results so that they can explain and they can help you navigate the complexity around becoming financially successful. Because let's face it, no matter how much people say it's easy, well, if it were, then if people would not, you know, not struggle so much. Now, I will say, though, good wealth creation is simple. Mm-hmm. But I will say, not easy. Correct. It's simple to understand, but not easy to execute. Yeah. Okay? So as long as people understand good wealth creation, the CISPIP model is very simple. It is nothing fancy, it's not rocket yeah. science, but the implementation of it is not easy. Mm. Last one is preserved. Last one is preserved, correct. You want to make sure you preserve it because they say that up to six, 75 to 80% of intergenerational wealth is lost by the time it gets to the third generation, which means you might work extremely hard to create the wealth, but if you don't transfer the knowledge and you don't have a preservation plan, you don't transfer the knowledge and the values to your kids and they don't transfer it to their grandkids. By the time the grandkids come over, they're going to erode everything that you worked your work very hard for because you mm-hmm. transfer the money without the preservation plan and without the transfer of values and knowledge. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's such a skill. But, but the thing is, we don't have to assume that it's difficult. Everything is difficult when we don't, we have no training in it. Mm-hmm. Training is the medium through which we go from not understanding something and being intimidated and overwhelmed by it to then going, ah, I get it now. People who are engineers, to me, mm. when I look at engineering, they, oh my God, it's so intimidating to me. Mm. But to the engineer, it's not because they spend years learning it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing with IT. You saw how much I struggle with technology today, right? <laughs> yeah. But I have my areas of specialization. I'm not a, 
I would not say I'm a smart person. I'm only smart in my areas. Mm. You're smart in your areas. Everyone's smart in their areas. But we need to understand that money is one of those areas that affects everybody. Mm. So it's not a case of, it's no longer a, a luxury to be financially educated. It's, mm. it's a necessity to be financially educated, right? Because we're all yeah. in the money game. Mm. So unfortunately, that's something that we can't get away from. Mm. We can convince ourselves money is not important. We can keep telling ourselves all these lies so that we don't feel bad about it. and We don't feel uncomfortable. Mm. And it only makes us feel and gives us relief in the short term. In the long term, it will come back to haunt us. Awesome. So Ron, to the whole point of the, you know, preserve, we're passing the knowledge. How old is your daughter? I can see her picture on the table. Uh, you know, on, she's, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. eight. And we have she's lots eight. of money conversations. In fact, yesterday we did a role play and she, she was playing a shopkeeper. Mm -hmm. And I test her and I see I'm a customer and I see how she will deal with me. And I ask her for a discount and see how easily she gives me the discount mm -hmm. and whether she tries to upsell me and how she serves me and how, whether she understand what is reasonable value or not. Because even as a business person, I see a lot of people, if somebody comes and says, this is too expensive, they just drop the price. And I call that being lazy. Mm. You know what? The easiest thing in the world to do is to drop the price. The difficult thing to do is to increase the value. Mm. But you see those behaviors with money playing everywhere. Even a lot of business people struggle because, you know, they may have started a business, but the business owns them. They don't yeah. own the business, right? Mm. They're a slave to the business. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to it. But the thing is, how long does it take to become very financially confident? I would probably say a year. One year of serious commitment and learning from the right people can put you in a position where you never ever feel insecure about money. But people rather complain about the lack of money than to actually spend a year learning about it. Mm. And unfortunately, you cannot rely on the education system to do it because if they wanted to do it, they would have done it a long time ago. For whatever reason, they decided that it's not important for people to learn how to manage money and grow money. I just think it's an absolute disgrace and very big failure in the education system to not educate people. So um, whilst that is still the case, it's up to us to take the responsibility of becoming financially educated. Yeah, absolutely. So one last question, Ron. So the first of all the, you know, the CISPIP model that you spoke about is the skills. What are the top five skills that you think where, you know, world is going to have huge demand in the next few years for the people who are listening or the young people who are listening? Like, hey, you know what, I'm going to pick up one of these, you know, skills which are going to be in high demand in the next few years. So again, we have to understand where the world is going and the world is going heading towards the direction of artificial intelligence, automation and outsourcing. And those trends are going to continue. And we also have come away from the information era, just sort of moving towards the social digital era. I believe that any skill that results in you being able to influence and lead people and extract mm. performance from people, those things machines can't do. It's very simple. Humans are very complex mm. and the ability to deal with human beings. So anything like advisory, consulting, mentoring, leading, leadership, you know, whether today you look at some of the careers that are being made by influencers and thought leaders and experts and all of those skills, those can't be replaced. I mean, even in my industry right now, there's massive technology disruption happening. Whilst they can produce technology, artificial technology, artificial intelligence technology that can pick an investment portfolio for you as a client. Mm. What it can't do is to get you to stick to that portfolio when the markets crash. Yeah. Okay? That's where behavioral coaching will need to come in still, and you'll need a good advisor and an advisor who reminds you why you started in the first place, where you're going, and why you need to stick to your plan. Because we like to assume that humans are rational and logical, but history shows us we're anything but. So any skill, and this is why I would be saying to anybody who wants to be ready for the new world, understand, become very good at human psychology, mm. emotional intelligence, advanced communication skills, advanced consulting. A consulting I love because you can even build a significant entrepreneurial business without needing staff, plants, equipment, machinery. And mm. with the way the world is interconnected through internet and social media, it gives you a lot of options. So I would probably say to young people, work on your communication skills, understand human psychology, become good at emotional intelligence, which is self-awareness, social awareness, and then you can work towards any type of complex problem solving. And I do think that the world is moving back towards entrepreneurship, simply because we're starting to realize that one source of income is not a, it's not a good plan. 
because that plan, mm. anyone that has just a job and is reliant on one source of income is only typically three months away from poverty. Mm. So um, consulting, advising, mentoring, speaking, speaking is a great skill because again, we, are, we need the world everywhere in the area of social justice, in the area of uh, food and sustainability, in the area of technology, in the area of organizational change. We, re we require more and more conscious leaders, not positional leaders, we need conscious leaders. Uh, mm -hmm. So everywhere there is an opportunity. So people who can educate people, there's a lot of social and systemic problems still in the world. And anyone that stands up, builds a brand, and can influence people to take action, and of course, charge for it, as long as they're delivering fair value, I think can do quite well today. Um, so I think some of the stuff that you're doing also falls into that. You know, but ultimately, it's just about having a voice there and solving a problem. And there are many, many ways you can do that. But I would be very conscious of only solving technical problems because we have mm -hmm. that exponential curve of technological improvements. And as that gets better, you might find yourself that you've been replaced by a machine. But as long as you're solving human problems, I yeah. think you always have a way to be able to make money. This is amazing. No wonder, Ron, why people are going on the you know, on our last conversation and say things like, I listened to this more than 50 times and, uh, you know, the amount of value that you bring on the table, it's just uh, just amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation. There's a ton that we have done in last 50 minutes. Oh my God. I'm sure like everybody who's listening to this episode, just go back and start making notes once again and, uh, you know, start, get started with your financial journey. This has been a great conversation, Ron. And for everybody listening, Ron's new book, Impossible to Fail, is already out there. I'll link that up in the description of the show. Make sure that you pick that up. My, my, new, my new book is actually How to Speak Like the World's Best Public Speakers, Top Public Speakers. Yes. Check that mm. out. But I have a new book yes. coming out next year, if I may just let people know. It's called Indoctrinated, How the Education mm -hmm. System Perpetuates Mediocrity, Conformity, and Indistinguishability. This is amazing. Thank you, Ron. Thank you so much. If people would like to reach out to you, where do they find you? Find me on LinkedIn, uh, but that's where we are connected and on Instagram at the Ron Mohotra and check me out on YouTube as well. And drop me, drop me a line. I know I can't give you all the answers in 50 minutes, but I can give you enough for you to transform your behaviors and change. Look, remember, remember guys, we can't change our destinations overnight, but we can change our direction overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ron. It's been a great conversation. Really appreciate you, you know, spending some time with us once again. My pleasure. Thank you, Vijay. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Inspiring Talk. I highly recommend that you listen to this episode all over again so that you can let the insight shared by Ron sink in. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode and show in general. And also let me know whom do you like to see as a guest in this show. You can send me a voice message by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash speak, S-P-E-A-K. Go ahead and record that message right now. You can find the description of this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 116. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.